Department of Archives and History for the special exhibit Spirits of the Passage, the story of the transatlantic slave trade, open now through August 11th. Details at twomississippimuseums.com slash spirits. Good morning. It's 8.30 on Thursday, May 2nd. I'm Karen Brown, and this is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. On today's show, a new crop of Mississippi Highway Patrol troopers is about to hit the streets. We'll hear from Governor Phil Bryant and one of the trooper school graduates. Then, a Mississippi spay and neuter clinic hopes doubling its capacity will help reduce Mississippi's unwanted pet population. And in this week's book club, a profile of renowned blues photographer Dick Waterman. That's all coming up. This is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. Mississippi Highway Patrol has 44 more troopers to patrol the state's roadways. Cadet Class 63 graduated from the Highway Patrol's Trooper Training Academy yesterday. Governor Phil Bryan spoke to the graduating class. He recalled his own early days in law enforcement. 1976, receiving my badge. I realized that life had changed, and it has changed for these cadets and our troopers. They will be looked at differently. When trouble comes in no matter what shape or form or fashion or at what time, day or night, they will be called upon. When they're out in public in their uniform, they they will be thanked for their service or sometimes not. They will be used as a threat against small children. Oh yes, I wish that wouldn't happen, but it was. I've been in a cafe where a mom would say, if you don't behave, I'm going to have that man, that uniform come take you to jail. I walked over and said, please don't tell him that. Because if he has trouble in his life, if this small child one day has trouble, I want him to run to me, not away from me. Public Safety Commissioner Marshall Fisher reflected on this year's Trooper School graduates. We have some of these gentlemen that came. They were landscapers, corrections officers, working construction. We got a minister. We got a nurse. We've got a former probation and parole officer. We've got a barber. We've got one that worked in a casino. And we've got one that worked in an oil field. They come from all walks of life. 44. 44 strong. They started out 87. Three of them are prior military service. 15 are prior law enforcement officers. The youngest, Easton Doles, is 21 years old. The oldest, Michael Holyfield, is 48. Eleven of these officers have two-year degrees, eleven of them have four-year degrees, and two of them have master's degrees. Now, I don't know where they got their master's degree or where they guided them to become a Mississippi Highway Patrolman. I guess they thought they might get rich. But they hung it out. They hung out. They They made it through. Captain Johnny Polis with the Mississippi Highway Patrol says these recent graduates will help with the current staffing shortage. He says he's happy for the graduates and their families for enduring the training process. Polis spoke with MPB's Jasmine Ellis. I think everyone knows we have a manpower issue uh, in the state of Mississippi when it comes to Mississippi Highway Patrol. Uh, But Governor Bryant, Lieutenant Governor Reeves, uh, Speaker of the House Philip Gunn, and all our legislators have been been very good to us uh, in the past sessions. This is our third trooper school that we've been able to have 
Um, so we're look and we're looking forward to get the uh, get class 64 started. How will the how will this graduation help with the trooper shortage? Well, today we just added 44 more troopers on the roadways in Mississippi that, to protect and serve the people of Mississippi. Keep in mind, our, our job is to make sure motors are making it from point A from, to point B in a safe manner. And again, the more the more troopers we have on the roadways in Mississippi, the safer our roadways are. We're just very happy for the cadets that are now troopers today and their families. A lot of people forget what the families go through during the training process and once they become law enforcement officers. Basically, the families wear a badge to a degree, too. So we're, we're extremely happy for them today as well. And do you have any advice for someone who may be interested in becoming a trooper one day? Follow us on MHP Recruiter Twitter. Follow us on Facebook, and we have applications out there now. We're accepting applications. The deadline for applications are May 31st. So, so we've got it out there, and we invite you to fill that application out. We will be glad to see you at the Trooper Academy. Jasmine also spoke with Academy graduate Patrice Brown. She's originally from Chicago, but has been living in Jackson for about 15 years. You just graduated from Trooper Academy. How do you feel? I feel like I'm on top of the world. I feel great. I feel like a winner. I'm ready to serve and protect and give back. And where will you be serving in particular? I'm going to Jones County. And what made you decide to become a state trooper? I've always been interested in law enforcement since college. When I chose my major back in college, I served on the Jackson Police Department for six and a half years and just been trying to climb the ladder and continue to learn, give back to Mississippi. And you were one of four women who graduated today. How does that feel? It feels great. I just want to show people and other females that it's possible that we can, that we can do this. Do you have any advice for someone who may want to follow in your footsteps one day and become a state trooper? Follow your heart. Follow your heart. Find you a leader and let them lead you. I'm following in their footsteps, and I want to give them what they gave me. Thank you so much. Congratulations again. Thank you. Coming up, a Mississippi spay and neuter clinic hopes doubling its capacity will help reduce Mississippi's unwanted pet population. This is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. One of the things that makes your car run is the key. What if you've got a key problem? That's the topic of our next broadcast. AutoCorrect airs on MPB Think Radio and over the Internet at mpbonline.org at 10 a.m. today. We take your calls and emails about your auto problems. Our address is auto at mpbonline.org. Our expert is Allison Walker, the lady auto mechanic. Please join us. I'm Jeremy Hobson. The Fire Festival, Jussie Smollett, the college admission scandal. What is it that makes scams so intriguing? It can be kind of compelling to look at the scams and think, hmm, how did they actually do that successfully for so long, you know, before they got caught right. as being a scam? That's next time on Here and Now. Today at noon on MVB Think Radio. This is MPB Think Radio. Mississippi is our mission.
This is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. I'm Karen Brown. Each year across the country, millions of pets are euthanized due to a lack of resources and homes to care for them. But spaying or neutering can help reduce the number of animals that end up in shelters, on the streets, or killed. Shelby Parsons with Mississippi Spay and Neuter says stray animals cost taxpayers millions of dollars each year. She spoke with MPB's Ezra Wall. There are so many issues that it can cost, not just for your pet individually, but for the community at large. So for your pet, of course, they run the risk of getting pregnant or impregnated with any other animals. And they they sort of lose their senses a little bit when they're um at breeding time, in heat, and things like that. So they're more likely to get hit by cars, more likely to escape your yard, and more likely to get into fights with other animals. Uh, And then for the community at large, of course, um, none of us are probably prepared to take in a litter of kittens or puppies that, uh, you know, a dog or cat has had around our home, but it happens all the time. And those are actually most of the animals we see. That, I mean, that can not not only be a a health hazard for people, especially with animals that are not trained and not socialized, but it can cause Mm -hmm. a burden on uh, municipal resources as well as crews have to go out and and clean up after the uh, destruction and various other uh, outgrowth of animals running free on the streets. It does. It's a huge strain on our cities and counties and If any of your listeners have appalled animal control, you know that um, they're understaffed and underpaid, and we just don't have the resources allocated for all of the issues that stray animals are causing or for just even picking up stray animals. Talk about just the the uh, reproductive process in especially cats and dogs is is mostly what we're talking about here. Um, Mm -hmm. How often and how quickly... Can Let's just take a cat, for example. How quickly can they uh, reproduce? Some folks don't know this, but actually cats can go right back in the heat after they have babies. Uh, so even as early as a week after having kittens, um, it's not as common, but they can go straight back into heat. Dogs go into heat less often, usually a couple times a year, but they have much bigger litters of puppies. You know, a lot of people become uh, outraged at uh, at shelters that are not no-kill shelters, so to speak. Mm-hmm. But really, mm-hmm. it, it doesn't have anything to do with the shelters at all, does it? We can fix this problem. It does not. Unfortunately, the shelter bears a lot of that negative energy that people have because killing animals feels horrible, but this is a community problem and it takes all of us, you know, to lend a hand, um, fix an animal in our neighborhood. When we, when we blame the shelters, we're really, we're, we're not aiming our anger in the right direction. Now there are other states where this is not an issue. In fact, I mean, some shelters in Mississippi actually, uh, uh, transport, pets from Mississippi to other states, some of the some of the uh, ones who are uh, appropriately socialized and adoptable can go to other states and find homes. What are those states doing that we're not doing here? What other states have done is that they implemented mandatory spay and neuter uh, many years before us. So in order to register your animal, your animal would need to be spayed or neutered um, or else you would pay a much higher fee. So communities were able to incentivize spay and neuter and also raise awareness about the importance of spay and neuter. It takes a few years, but spay and neuter is extremely effective. So once they were able to stop the flow of animals being born, uh, shelters were empty 
in order to kind of help uh, stem that tide, uh, your organization, Mississippi Spay and Neuter, uh, which works in central Mississippi, there are some other organizations uh, around the state, and there are various ways mm-hmm. where people can get the services that they need. But your organization uh, has spayed and neutered tens of thousands of animals uh, up to date, and you're you're about to just about double your annual capacity. Talk about that a little bit. We are very excited that people are learning about the importance of spay and neuter. Um, it did take some time for us to ramp up um, to this point where people are calling us and the phone is ringing off the hook and we can't simply accommodate all of the people who need to have animals fixed. So uh, right now we fix about 5,000 animals a year, but our wait list can be anywhere from a month to six weeks. Uh, so anyone who's been to our clinic, which has been uh, about 50,000 people, <laughs> you know that it is standing room only. So we have decided to buy a bigger building and renovate a new big fix clinic in order to serve more than 10,000 animals a year. And that way we'll have the space and the time to reach out to communities who may not have been able to reach out to us and help animals who would have otherwise not been able to receive spay and neuter services. So in addition to that, there there are some vets that you work with and can offer uh, vouchers for for some of those services for people who, who can't afford the full fees. All of this is, is uh, donation supported, of course. So tell people how they can get in touch, find more information, uh, leave a donation, get more information on how to fix their animals, etc. The first place to go is our website. If you search for Mississippi Spay and Neuter, um, you will see a link on our website to the Big Fix Clinic where you can make an appointment. We will never turn anyone away for their inability to pay our fees. Uh, we just want everyone to know that spay and neuter is our first priority and we raise funds to make up the difference. So we can, of course, always use community contributions. Right now, we are $100,000 short of our goal to open the new Big Fix Clinic. So if you'd like to contribute, please go to our website. You'll see a big picture of our proposed new clinic on the front page. And we are so excited that the Petco Foundation is matching up to $17,500 of that money. Um, You can also find any services around the state no matter what county you live in, on our website as well under Locate Services. Wonderful indeed. Shelby Parsons is with Mississippi Spay and Neuter. Shelby, thank you very much for helping us understand the issue better today. Thank you so much, Ezra. I appreciate it. Coming up, a profile of renowned blues photographer Dick Waterman. That's in this week's book club. This is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. Mother's Day will be here before you know it. And what does mom really want? To know you're thinking of her, of course, and that she raised you right. Accomplish both today with the smartest Mother's Day gift around. Gorgeous FTD roses, chocolates, and a gift to Mississippi Public Broadcasting in her honor. Delivered anywhere in the U.S. in time for Mother's Day for just $125. Visit mpbonline.org or call 1-888-372-GIVE. Offer ends May 5th. Whether you're a thrifty shopper or someone who likes to buy the whole store, Change is the program that will allow your purchases to show your support for the quality content on MPB Radio. This easy and no-hassle program rounds up your credit or debit card purchases to the nearest dollar and sends us the difference. You support MPB and get something nice for yourself. To sign up for Change, visit our website, mpbonline.org, and click support. This is MPB Think Radio. Mississippi is our mission. 
is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. I'm Karen Brown. There's a blues legend who lives in Oxford. No, he's not a musician, but his influence in blues music is formidable enough that he was inducted into the Blues Hall of Fame nearly 20 years ago. Dick Waterman has chronicled music history through photographs of Sun House to B.B. King to Bob Dylan to Mick Jagger. In her book, Dick Waterman, A Life in Blues, author Tammy Turner profiles the man who has worn the hats of agent, manager, producer, promoter, and photographer. He grew up in a wealthy Jewish family in Plymouth. His father was a doctor, And growing up, he knew nothing of blues. Nobody in the family played blues music. After he got out of college and was working as a a freelance writer and a sports writer for a newspaper, he was drawn to the Greenwich Village scene in the 60s. And, of course, folk blues, which was popular at the time. And he became involved in this just looking for a story because a young man named Phil Spiro had a lead on the sort of long-lost Delta blues musician, Sun House. And on a lark, they decided to go try to find him. And Dick was just looking for a good story and thought that would be a good story, whether they found him or not, hoping (laughs) that they would. He, Phil, and then Nick Pearls, um, a third man, they set off for Mississippi in the middle height of the Civil Rights Movement in a Volkswagen and drove right down to the Mississippi Delta looking for Sun House. And ultimately they find him, although it's in Rochester, New York, where they find him. And Dick does indeed get a story, but that's how he also gets a career. He also managed Sun House, and he managed some other notable people like Bonnie Raitt and Buddy Guy. Certainly the title of your book is apt. Dick Waterman, A Life in Blues, because that's what his career has been. He has immersed himself in blues as a manager or as a photographer. When did that start in his career? The first time he really picked up a camera was when he was handed a camera at the newspaper. He was doing some sports writing, of course, and taking photos was just part of the process. He had promoted a concert for Mississippi John Hurt. And he went and took some photos of her during the last performance of that week. And he sort of just always had a camera with him. It wasn't this conscious decision to just document everything he was doing, but he had a camera. And so when he and Sun House went on tour and when he was backstage at Newport, he was just around people and he had his camera and he would take photos. And he really only took photos through sort of the early to mid-70s. And and after that, he sort of put his camera down and was so busy with, you know, Bonnie Raitt's career that he didn't take photos again really until the 90s after he had retired. And it's interesting because those early photos, I guess probably like his later ones, are in demand now. Yes. I don't think he ever thought he would have a career or necessarily an income from photography. He published a book in 2003 called Between Midnight and Day, which was the la- called The Last Unpublished Blues Archive. And it really was sort of a retrospective of just some of the best of these candid photos that he had taken of these early blues artists. Since then, the photography aspect of his career has grown considerably, and he has his own website and, and sells prints of these original photos. But it wasn't something that he had necessarily planned and has really only sort of picked up again and is still doing a bit of as he goes to festivals now.
Bonnie Raitt plays the blues, but she plays a lot of other things. Did his love of music itself grow as his career progressed? His love of music grew because of the Greenwich scene. The folk and blues music that he heard there, it's kind of like each person that he managed, it kind of caused him to branch out in that respect because the earliest person, of course, was Sunhouse. When he got Sunhouse a record deal on Columbia, that was just phenomenal. And when some of these other older blues artists that were sort of trying to reignite their careers saw that, they sought him out. You know, Skip James and then Robert Pete Williams and, and, and the others that he worked with. What might people be surprised to learn about Dick in your book? Well, I think his background, just the fact that he didn't come from the sort of background where he knew anything about blues, and how sort of the improbable journey that his life took in order for him to actually find Sun House and then become a manager. I think also sometimes when people think about the entertainment industry, they see it as a very cutthroat industry, which it is. I think the one thing that you'll find that's consistent about Dick's career and anybody that you talked to that worked with him was that he was incredibly honest. He put the artist first, even when it was to his own financial detriment. If he booked a gig for an artist and the people that were supposed to pay them did not come through, he would pay them out of his own pocket. He worked tirelessly for fair compensation. He also fought tirelessly for royalties and rights that were due them that sometimes were withheld because they did not know how to pursue that avenue themselves. The book is called Dick Waterman, A Life in Blues, and we've been speaking with its author, Dr. Tammy Turner. Thank you so much. Thank you, Karen. Tammy Turner and Dick Waterman will be at Square Books in Oxford on May 10th at 5.30. Stay tuned to MPB Think Radio for a full slate of Mississippi-based programs all morning long. Coming up at 9 o'clock, it's Creature Comforts. Then at 10 o'clock, it's AutoCorrect. And at 11, stay tuned for Southern Remedy Kids and Teens. Did you miss part of the show today? Find past episodes of this and other Think Radio programs online by visiting mpbonline.org. You can also download the MPB Public Media app from the Apple or Google Play stores. Or you can subscribe to Mississippi Edition in your favorite podcasting app. I'm Karen Brown. Join us again tomorrow morning at 830 for the next Mississippi Edition, only on MPB Think Radio. Support for MPB comes from the Mississippi Department of Archives and History for the special exhibit Spirits of the Passage, the story of the transatlantic slave trade, open now through August 11th. Details at 2MississippiMuseums.com slash spirits. This is MPB Think Radio. Mississippi is our mission. What happens to a housing market during a tech IPO boom? If you have to ask, you can't afford it. 
From American Public Media, this is Marketplace Tech, demystifying the digital economy. I'm Molly Wood. Marketplace Tech is supported by Panopto, a company's internal training and communications videos don't belong on public video sites. Panopto's video platform is the secure way for businesses to manage and share video content. Panopto.com. And by Acquia, the open source digital experience company. At Acquia, they power websites, applications, and online experiences for some of the largest brands around the world. More at Acquia.com. Perhaps you have heard that tech IPOs are blooming like wildflowers this spring. Lyft, Pinterest, Uber, Zoom, Slack, and more are coming, almost all of them headquartered in the San Francisco Bay Area, which is already among the least affordable places in the country. And a lot of early employees of these companies are about to make a bunch of money on their stock option. 